Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. If you'd like to turn there now, you can. Matthew chapter 23. We're actually going to, to read the extent of it, and then we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about this text this morning. I want you to hear the word of God. Would you stand with me? It is something that is wonderful and beautiful and a tradition that the church has done for, for many, many, many years. We do not always do it, but it is a wonderful thing to stand in the hearing of the word of God read. You know, this is long. It's, it's the whole chapter of 23. But let me encourage your heart in this, that it is the word of God. And so if you hear anything today, hear the word of God. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees, sit on the Moses seat, so practice and observe what they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all, these, all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their, their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to the scribes and the Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter uh, yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by the oath. You blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and, cu and cumin. And have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean out, you clean out the ins, excuse me, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you... 
For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, your, you, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your, on your, in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of innocent, able to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not see your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Please be seated. We see three or four massive movements, movements within, this, within this text. And this morning what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to walk through some of these things. We're going to talk about them and we're going to be practical as well. And I want to be as simple as possible. Three ma massive movements in this text. One is the addressing of the um, not practicing what they say. Well, practice what they say, but not doing what they do. The second movement is this whole issue of the woe to the scribes and the Pharisees. The third movement is a movement of judgment of what's to come and what could come. And the last is Jesus um, weeping over these people. You see, on one hand, you need to recognize that these people are being um, sp spoken about in a very harsh way. That's true. And there's something in us that just wants to say, yeah, Jesus, go get them, because I'm nothing like them. And on the other hand, I think what we need to see is the compassion of Jesus, who looks at them and weeps over the city. And there's a lot of things to say about all of this. On one hand, we need to be careful not to be arrogant and prideful because at the heart of the matter, what Jesus is really getting at is this massive issue of pride, of arrogance, and calling the people of God to something higher, which is that of being a servant. That is what, what Jesus is getting at. That is what, what the point of the passage is. Of don't be like this. You see, what Jesus does is he, he, he engages the crowd, and he engages his followers. Let's listen to what it says, right? Right in the beginning of verse 23, or chapter 23, verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples. You see, Jesus is going to call them to his discipleship, and he's going to say something about the religious people in his setting. He's going to point out the error that they are in. And they are going to get a severe warning. But this is for the disciples that are there present. And it's for us disciples as well who are present here to be warned. 
to be cautious, to be careful about the evils of pride. It is wicked. And it, it is in, in massive contrast to what Jesus is calling to them to, which is to be a servant. Pride or service? It's messy. And so we as his people, we as his disciples, we can see he's strongly addressing these leaders, right? These scribes and the Pharisees. Let's call them leaders. And man, that's it's certainly a, a warning to leaders in churches, in our church. And those of you that would, God would call to leadership in our church, that you would see how serious it is. But also as a fellow brother and sister, as a fellow Christian, you need to be warned and, and realize that pride is wicked. And that Jesus calls every one of us to be in a servant. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that the greatest among us will be a servant. And who is the servant of servants in this passage? Who is the servant of servants in the Bible overall? It is Jesus himself. There is no other servant like him. He is the greatest because he comes and he lays down his life for his sheep when he should not have to lay his life down for us. We are in full, we deserve the wrath of God. And yet he humbles himself, takes on flesh, and he dies for us when we are resisting him and sinning against him. He is the servant of all. Jesus is our model of what it means to be a servant. And he's contrasting the pride with the servant. And he's saying the greatest among you will be a servant. So Jesus addresses the crowds and he addresses the disciples and he, and he tells them, hey, the scribes and the Pharisees, look, they sit on Moses' seat. And so practice and observe what they, they tell you. Now interestingly enough, notice what Jesus says. He tells his disciples to do whatever they tell you, to observe and practice what they tell you, but not what they do. He's pointing out their hypocrisy. Now, what is this whole Moses seat thing? When you read that, it, it's a little odd at first. Um, when you look at that in the original language, and some of you, like the language geeks, you'll, you'll appreciate this, or if you came from a high church tradition, you'll hear the word and you will remember. It's a word, uh, uh, cathedra. And, it, and, it, and it's a really massive theological concept. Let me give it to you. It means um, chair. Okay, and so that being said, when, when, he, when Jesus says this, well, well, you know, when you look at different traditions, and you, like let's say you, maybe you've been to a cathedral, a cathedral, like the big like, church building, let's call it a big church building, and it, and it houses um, a chair. And, and what, what, the reason why historically churches have done this is because that would be a seat of um, authority. And so they, they're, they're saying, hey, this is a place of authority. Jesus, there's, there's no Moses seat somewhere that, that I know of, you know, that Jesus has pointed out that we can unbury somewhere. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, like, all that stuff. No one does. Like, there, there isn't. The point that's being made here is that, that those leaders actually sit in the place of authority. That's what, Jesus, that's what Jesus is saying. They sit in the seat of Moses. Moses, for them and for us, was, was sat in a place of authority. He brought down the word of God to the people. He was definitely in a seat of authority. And so when he's talking to his disciples and he's calling them to actually pay attention to what they say, which might sound kind of weird in terms of the kind of relationship we have seen ha occur up to this point because G the, hurt, the heat and the hurt is being turned up by, uh, on Jesus by the leaders in, among the people of God, the Pharisees and scribes and, 
and the government and all kinds of other people. But he says, look, they, they actually sit in the seat of authority. That's true. Um, do what they tell you, but not what they do. So why? Well, they preach, but they do not practice. Jesus is pointing out their hypocrisy, and Jesus is rightfully warning them of their hypocrisy. Now, I will tell you this. Leaders that, that sit with me, other elders and so forth, that we have to live a life of correct and right character. We are not perfect. But the Bible is clear. First and Second Timothy and Titus. The Bible is clear that leaders have to have high character. They are imperfect. They are fallen. They are sinners saved by grace. But they are required to have high character. In fact, the Bible all over the place warns us not to make everyone a teacher. You want to you know why? Because of a stricter judgment. Because, like the teaching of the word of God is a big deal. And when you talk, when, when we, the people of God, talk about it, we want to be truthful and right. Because God is truth. God tells the truth. God cannot lie. So we want to represent, represent God right. We want to, and, and so what he's doing is he's warning them about the, the leaders that are around them to not practice what they practice because they are hypocrites. So do what they say, but not what they do. They preach, but they do not practice. Now, what is it that they do? Well, Jesus says in verse 4 that they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear. That is interesting. And they lay them on people's shoulders, but they, ref they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They will not lend them a hand. Heavy burdens. Extra biblical things of all sorts. Now, look. We live in a generation where people have all sorts of different ideas about what is a heavy burden and what is not. You know, if, if, the, if the eldership comes to you and says, hey, stop having extramarital affairs, it is not a heavy burden that we are burdening you with. We are telling you the word of God is very clear on this matter. You are not to fornicate. Fornicators will not inherit the kingdom of God. By the way, neither will slanderers and all kinds. There's a whole list, prideful, just, just like sinners, which we all are. But here's the thing. We live in a world where we have a lot of different opinions about that. And, but you need to know that, practically speaking, that the eldership in our church, will, there at times, we will, we will do different things to address the people of God and each other. And that means that we will address you. And there are some things that we will come at you softer with and say, hey, you know, we'd really recommend this. Man, but if you're in blatant sin, we're going to come strongly. The Bible makes it very clear to us that we are to rebuke. That is a strong word for correcting someone. Do you want to know why we do that? Because of love. You, God tells us to. It would be unloving for us not to do that. Like when, when someone is running toward the edge of the Grand Canyon do, and they're five years old, do you say, do you, like, admonish them? Hey, hey, be, be careful. Or do you yell and say, stop, and run at them? Like, I would hope that you would not admonish, but that you would, you would make it serious and scary to stop that person. So I want, you need to understand that there are times that we're going we're gonna to lay things your way, but we want to be as biblical as we can. And, and I want you to, I want you to, I would, I would ask you to consider that there are things that you might think are burdensome that are not burdens at all from the word of God. But the, in their hypocrisy, this is what they were doing though. So not only are they, they practicing things 
that they should not practice. They lay heavy burdens on these people. But they also, in verse 5, they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at the feasts and the, the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. But, let's stop there. We'll come back to verse 8. But, you know, you, you see this and you might have a question of what are these phylacteries and what are these fringes? I haven't seen that in the Bible before. It's a really weird word. Um, you will notice the tassels that I had hanging from my clothing. It's not something we do. But it, they are doing this from the Old Testament. We could point you to Scripture where the people of God were, were called on to do certain things to remember what God had done. Hey, look, here's the thing. We're physical creatures. God gives us things to remember his faithfulness. For example, communion. For example, baptism. Like We're made for a physical world. And so the, those phylacteries, what they, what they are, those, am, I, am I saying it right? I'm messed. Those phylacteries are basically devices that they would put in the front of, between their eyes. And they'd put the word of God in there. Do you wonder why? So they would remember what God says. Not that it does anything magical, but it was to remember, man, I'm, like, I'm keeping this in my mind. Between, this, is, this is front and center. For, so using it as a tool for, for a time of prayer. And they would wrap them and put them on their arm, close to their heart. So they'd remember and keep the word of God close to their heart. It wasn't an unbiblical thing they were doing. But notice what Jesus says about what they do. There's something that you need to notice about the factories that Jesus points out. He makes them what? They, they make them broad. So they're making them gigantor so that everyone around them can see how much they love the Bible, the word of God. They love it so much more than all, everyone else who has made a little one. They love God so much more. They're huge. And then has, and in the word of God, God has told them to do these, make these little tassels and remember God's faithfulness. And what do they do? They make them super, super long so that everyone else around them can really see their faithfulness and their remembrance of who God is. And Jesus is pointing out their hypocrisy. He's like, man, they know the Bible and they're calling you and preach and calling you to look at the word of God. And you should listen to them in that regard. And yet, they refuse to lift a finger in this, and they lay heavy burdens on others. And they do all of this stuff to be seen by others. But Jesus says, but you are not to be called rabbi. Because, you see, they want to be known by others. They, they, love, they love the accolades and people calling them rabbi. And when you read this, you need to know that the Word of God is saying never call someone father. The Word of God is telling you never call anyone professor. It's not, it's, that's not what he's getting at. What the scriptures are getting at when he's putting is, is to not carry those titles, make those titles as big a deal, to be careful with your heart if you should have such a title. It's true. The elders, they have a title at our church. They have a title. Are we going to give, like, is there no room for a title of any kind? Just call each other brothers. Like, that's it. Like, if you want to be uber strict, uber literal, like, dude, that, that is not the point of the passage. The point is be careful with your heart. If you have a difficulty with a title, then, men, you should not have that place or, or be wrestling and working through that issue of pride that is there. 
That's what Jesus is getting at. So when he tells them, when he turns to them and he says, but you do not be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. What he's saying is every one of you are on equal playing ground. You're brothers and you're sisters in Christ Jesus together. What he's making a contrast is, is their pride and their hypocrisy and what it means to be a servant. So what he is calling us to be is servants. And our model is Jesus himself dying on the cross, a servant above all servants. Listen to what he says. He says in verse 9, Call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither by be called instructor, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This runs through and through, through the church family. Hey, look, I want you to know we as the people of God need to be humble examples in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities. We are not to be arrogant. We are not to be, we are not to be prideful. Why do I say it like that? Because the word of God says that. We need to be cautious with pride. We need to be killing pride in us, and it can come out in all kinds of weird ways. You want to know the way it comes out? It comes out in being, this is theologically robust, are you ready? A jerk. Don't be a jerk. No one likes a jerk. None of us here, not one of us likes a jerk, and we don't want to be a jerk. And yet, Jesus is telling us, don't be an arrogant jerk who puts burdens on the others, who is completely hypocritical, who lifts up himself and exalts himself. But Jesus says this is what will happen. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, Jesus says, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Among our family, let me be really practical, brothers and sisters, be a servant, serve one another. We want to provide opportunities and ways that we can serve each other. You, one of the first ways that we can serve each other is by being in community together. Hey, look, schedules are crazy. Life is crazy. There's stages of life where that makes it very difficult to be together, to, to, to be in community together. And, and maybe for some reason in your mind, you might even feel a little artificial. Like, hey, look, I'll go to small group and it, it can feel really weird. And it's because you wonder why you don't know each other that well. Like, it's completely normal to feel weird in a group. We just don't know. And, and there's this other word. You just don't trust each other. And none of that's earned yet. And it, like, just takes time. It just takes time. But you need to remember this, that you are, by the word of God, Jesus himself says that you are brothers and sisters. This is what Jesus says. Contrasting the prideful, arrogant leaders of the day with the humility of Jesus. So therefore... Do not be a jerk. Do not be mean-spirited. Do not be unkind. Love, therefore, love each other. By, if you seek to be a servant, if you seek to be a servant, if we seek to serve, we will serve each other. We will serve our neighbors. We will serve our house, household. We will serve our neighborhood. And people will hear the gospel. You know, the word of God is faithful. No matter how broken we do it, God is faithful. But yet he uses means he uses the people of God. If we are healthy and on, on, and on our way to being healthy and not prideful, but being humble people, 
God will bless. God calls us to be faithful. Now, like, that can look a lot of different ways. You know, like, that doesn't mean, like, like a bunch of numbers of people necessarily because we, we're not sovereign. We're not little sovereigns. God is sovereign over the city. God saves who he pleases. But what we need to do is be faithful to say, look, I want to be a servant, Lord. I want to yield myself to you. I want to obey you. I want to trust you. I want to, like, share the gospel. I want to love people the way you call me to be. Uh, forgive me when I've been, like, a Pharisee. Forgive me when I have thought, man, I'm so glad, Lord, that I'm nothing like those scribes in that day. And then Jesus, what he does is he breaks, off, breaks into these, this whole series of woes. Do you know, like, what is a woe? I'm going to tell you what woe is in a very simple way. Woe is essentially um, pain and anger sort of woven into one. I'll never forget the first time I came into contact with that word. And it's actually an, an, uh, an accurate picture of it. It, it was from a, a pop culture movie a long time ago. Don't judge me because you're going to say, I can't believe your parents let you see this movie. But I'll just, I'm going to say it anyway. It's fine. <laughs> Don't show your kids this movie, please. Uh, Conan the Barbarian came out like in the 80s. Not the new one. I, don't, I, I didn't even see the new one because it probably was, probably sucked. <laughs> I don't, just, okay, just kidding. The old one was, was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I'll never forget, there was a scene where there's this evil king, of course, and uh, the barbarian who is super evil as well. And, um, and the, the king is very angry that uh, the barbarian has killed his, his snake that he's, you know, raised from childhood. <laughs> this massive snake. And he says to his court and a beaten barbarian, he says, take him to the tree of woe. Crucify him. And I'll never forget hearing that. Like, that was what I under, I was like, wow, that's what woe is. And then, like, you know, then living life and going to school and all that kind of stuff. You, you learn words. But, but it, was, it was an imagery of what woe is. What they did with woe, they crucified him. They, kill, they, they, they killed him. And they wanted him to suffer. Jesus calls this woe, this pain, this anger toward the religious leaders of his day because of how wicked this hypocrisy is. Because it's so damaging. Now I want you to hear how damaging this prideful hypocrisy, hypocrisy is in contrast to the servanthood that we are called to as the people of God. I'm going to go through them. You're not going to remember all of them, but it's going to, it's going to open up ideas in your mind of where, you, where we might, or you personally, could be falling short. So listen to this. This first world goes like this. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in the people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. That is interesting. What does that mean, that you don't enter the kingdom of God? Here, here is a people that is completely rejecting the Christ and telling others to reject him. That's what they're doing over and over again. They are fighting him. They are slandering him. They don't believe him. They're rejecting Jesus. And he says, you don't enter the kingdom as you ought to, and you don't allow others to enter. Now, there's a whole list of cult people, cults in our society, religions of our society. By the way, when, when, when people, when they, when they slander God, when they slander Jesus, and they try to get others not to believe in him, they are not entering the kingdom 
And they are denying those who might be interested in the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying that they were doing. It goes on to the next one. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea. In other words, you will take, you will do radical measures to go make one conversion. And, the, and you go across the sea to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Now that is absolutely terrifying. Ponder that. Ask yourself, number one, how long have you been a Christian? Number two, how are other disciples learning how to be a disciple of Jesus by watching you? Are they more like Jesus? Or are they more like a children, a child of wrath? You know, as it, go, as it unfolds, you will see a, a, gr- a greater picture of like a, where this lostness goes. But, but it is so massively important that I, I don't want to raise up the kind of disciples that, that are jerks, that don't love Jesus, that don't love their neighbor. I want, I want us, I, want, I personally want to keep growing, and I know that you do too. But we have to ask ourselves, how, what, what, what is coming out of those that watch and hang out with us and have coffee with us and learn from us? It's your children. It, it's your friends. It, it, it's our friends at work, one, like considering Christianity, watching, engaging us, and thinking this is the picture of what it means to follow Jesus. I don't, you've got to ask yourself, would they want it based on what they see from us? Next woe. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Now why is that weird? Because it is weird. You blind fools is what Jesus says. As they are working through their rationale to making oaths with other people, you kind of can envision it something like this. They're at the temple, they're making oaths, they're doing deals. They're saying, you know what, if you're really going to give me that property, you know, make the oath on the, on the sacrifice, on what you have given. Or make it in such and such a way. And Jesus is quoting them exactly, so they have somehow taught other people to make these oaths with others. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, has said, dude, you just need to tell the truth. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, if he, it is nothing. But if someone swears by the gold of the temple, it is bound by his oath. It doesn't make any sense, you fools. For which is greater, the gold in the temple or that that is made gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is he was bound by his oath. So they're making these really weird rules. The blind, you blind men, is what Jesus says. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. They are making these really weird oaths among each other. From their, from their, like, their, their system of theology, from their practical theology, it's really weird. And Jesus is saying, you misguide them. And it's completely connected to this whole idea of putting extra weird burdens. Look, so I want you to know, as the people of God, that the eldership, we want to do our best to tell you what the word of God says. But here's the thing. 
you have to submit to what God says. We don't want you to follow like the rationale and the, and of this world. I mean, think of Ephesians chapter 4. Because well, see, at Branches we say, hey, we look, we want you to know, grow, and go. We want you to know. How do you know God? You know him because he first knew you and loves you. Therefore, hear the word of God, preached, read, be among him. Don't neglect the gathering of the saints of God. Um, we want you to, to be gathered in community. And if you're knowing God and you're in community and you're maturing, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, you will not be t- tossed around by every wave of doctrine. We want to see you raised up so that you will not be tossed around by every weird thing that comes your way. Just this week, I had Jehovah's Witness at my door, not on Saturday, but during the week. Man, talking to me about all kinds of weird stuff. And then I started talking to them about stuff they probably thought was super weird, about the gospel. I'm like trying to like, trying to like go through that. But look, we don't want you to be fooled by that. We want you to know when it's a time to say, dude, I don't believe what they say. That is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. But he's calling them blind guides. The next woe is this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a, a gnat and swallowing a camel. Look, look, notice what he is saying. He's saying you, you should tithe is what he's saying to them. But what they are doing is they are tithing off of their smallest things that they have, these herbs. They're making a really big deal out of bringing in these herbs and these carrots or whatever, whatever else they have. The smallest thing, they, and Jesus, he, tells, he gives us this, this imagery of this like weird, funny thing. The biggest animal in their world would have been a camel. And he's like, look, you, wa- you want to strain out the water so that you don't swallow a gnat, and yet you swallow a camel, is what Jesus says. You should have done all these things, but you have made a big deal out of small things, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the Bible, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Hey, one of the great temptations we have as the disciples of Jesus, as we grow and read the Bible and read doctrine and read systematic and read biblical theology and read a bunch of books and grow and mature and listen to all kinds of podcasts and listen to all kinds of world-class speakers, is that we can get really stuck on the minutia of things and neglect the weightier things of the word of God. Did you know that? And if that is you, I want to caution you and challenge you to be careful. Do we need to be precise and right? Yes, we do. But we can get so lost in the details that we forget to be faithful. We, are, we just care about every detail of theology and yet our life is just amok. We care about every system, every, every minutia of heretical thing that we can face, and our relationships are a disaster. Man, there is a disconnect between how, what we know of God and how that plays out in our life when that's not working out right. It is time to put the pause on some details and work through the life issues because it's not connecting. That's what that means, by the way. When, it, when, when, when our life is a train wreck, our relationships are a train wreck, when we can't get along with anyone, there is, the, there is a disconnect between how we understand God and how we understand loving the people that God has made in his glorious image, by the way. So his accusation to them is you get lost in all the details. Yep, you should tithe. Oh, oh, you, you, but you have wanted to be seen. You pulled those herbs and the cumin, and you, and you had the little, the little olive jar of whatever. I mean, I don't know. 
It's just so that everyone can see how amazingly detailed you are and not missing a part, but you're completely hypocritical, Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean out the inside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Do you see that? Here is people that it should be care massively about the law of God, the word of God. And he is saying, look, you, you worry about the outside appearance, but man, the inside is wicked. You blind Pharisees. First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. Listen what he goes on to say. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. If you've ever been to the East Coast, maybe some of you have grown up there, so it sounds like a weird thing to say. I realize there's people that maybe some of the industry may have grown up there. I, um, I did not grow I grew up here, and so it was more of a visit to the East Coast. And one of the things I really wanted to see was, was just D.C. And, um, and, the, and, and the Capitol and seeing, like, Abraham Lincoln on the big chair and um, George Washington's house and all the monuments and the Vietnam uh, Memorial, on and on and on. Man, I lo- I've been to those things several times, and I enjoy them massively. When you go there and you see Abraham Lincoln on the, on the throne, <laughs> it's beautiful, in my opinion. It's whitewashed. It's clean. It's kind of awe-inspiring. Um, uh, and here is Jesus telling them about their, how they honor um, well, I'm just going to read it again. You are like whitewashed. You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones. And you have to understand where these people are coming from. To have contact with the dead would have made you unclean and therefore ceremonial, ceremonially unclean and unable to go to temple. And so where grave places were, they would try to mark them carefully so that you wouldn't accidentally come across the dead in some way. And so, because people wanted to be able to to do their life without being disrupted. So they they took care in that. And yet Jesus is telling them, look, you, you put all this care on the outside, but inwardly there's all this lawlessness. Verse 29, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Look at how he ties up the end of this hypocrisy. Lord, we are nothing like them. If we lived in that day, just imagine how, what we would have been like. It is really humbling to consider that we wouldn't be so different from an era behind us. And it is arrogant to say otherwise. And man, I got to tell you, I've thought it. I thought, man, how, how could you not see that this is Jesus? 
You know, I'm telling you, no, you know what we need? We, we need God to do an amazing work in our hearts to be able to see him, to be able to receive him, to believe him. And that he, his accusation of them is that they, they hypocritically and arrogantly, not servant-like, but arrogantly think otherwise. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell, Jesus says to them. It's humbling and terrifying, but brothers and sisters, I want you to know this, that because of Christ Jesus on the cross and what he has done for you who believe in him, you are saved. If you are here today and you are not convinced that you believe him, I, I want to I hold out the real warning that there is, the real warning of hell. But if you are in him, if you believe him, or perhaps you're on your way, you're working through stuff, you have questions, well, you know what, work that out with us. Spend some time with us. Ask it, and there's no question, that you, there's no question too small and too big for God. We, we want to process with you, but you need to know the full weight of the warning that God's word tells us that there is a real hell to be had for those that do not trust in him and for those who hypocritically deny him. Jesus goes on to say this. Therefore, I send you the prophets and wise men and scribes and, and whom you will kill. Notice that future idea. Crucify and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from the town to town so that on, on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of the innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Here is Jesus linking the historical murder of a prophet to them. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. But Jesus does not close up without lamenting over them. You guys, one of the most humbling things that we need to remember, when we think in terms of us being servants and not arrogant, not being a jerk, but being humble, is to see how Jesus laments over the lost. Jesus loved us when we were lost. Jesus weeps over the city. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood? If you've ever had chickens before, you've seen this. By the way, chick, little chicks come out of those eggs. Those eggs that you eat, they're gross, okay? Little chicks come out of those. They're not gross. They're delicious. They're really small. They're like one of the most vulnerable birds you've ever seen. They're tiny, they're cute, they're perfect snack for every predator around them. And there'll be like 10 of them, and the hen brings out her wings like this, and I've seen it, because I know it's weird that you think, I grew up in Hanheim, so I don't know what chickens are, but I actually had chickens. They open up their wings, and they just kind of bring them all in, they all sort of like get all nestly, nestled in there, and, and Jesus is saying he's just wanted to gather them. Jesus is lamenting them. But the thing is, Jesus says that you would not. Man, and if that's you today, I, I want to warn you and challenge you to come to Jesus. I, wa I want you to hear that, that Jesus has grace for those that are stuck in sin. Jesus has mercy. And then if you are hearing that today, if you are hearing the call of God, then you need to consider how to come to him and yield your life to him. Quit going on and doing what you're doing and being miserable and doing what you do and no one knows what you do in secret and you will not, you refuse to confess it, you refuse to show up to community, you just keep going on, on your way to hell, denying Jesus. 
by the way. I want to challenge you, encourage you that there is a loving Christ who is the model of what it means to be the servant. He is the one that is to be exalted because he died for us while we were still sinners. And if you put your trust in him, it is he who has died for you as well. So come and know the blessing you have from knowing him. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He, he t- pronounces this judgment on these people saying, hey, look, you're going to persecute the saints. And you know what? You're going to either, you're going you're gonna to accept me whether you like it or not eventually. So come, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just humble us, that we would be a people of God that is humble before you that we would be servants, the kind of servants that you have called us to be. Lord, I, I pray that we would reject any pride and arrogance in ourselves, Lord, that we would completely just submit to you. Lord, we ask for your help. In Christ's name, amen.